My name is Caleb Hunt. I'm the pastor at Grifton United Methodist Church, and welcome to the End of Words podcast, the home of our weekly sermons. If you are in the eastern North Carolina area and would like to come visit us, we have weekly worship services at 11 a.m. in our sanctuary on McRae Street, and we would love to have a chance to meet you in person. In the meantime, though, we pray that this message might help you in your own life and in your own context to refocus on the story of Jesus. We have three scripture readings this week, all from the book of James, as we continue in our sermon series through this small New Testament book. The first scripture reading that we have is James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. James chapter 1, 9 through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Our second scripture reading comes from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. James chapter 2, 1 through 7. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes comes in, and you take notice of the one wearing clothes and say, have a seat here, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those whom he loves? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? Our third and final scripture reading comes from James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts on the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning will be our third sermon in our series on the small book of James. And at this point, I hope we're starting to get a better feel of James because he has his own particular style and his own uh, favorite points of emphasis. And it's a unique perspective that James gives us within the New Testament. He is not afraid to get in your face a bit, to say uncomfortable things, and to push his readers to really interrogate their own actions and their own lifestyle. James, I think, he's always asking us the question, do you really believe what you claim to believe? Do you really believe that God can use difficulties in your life to form you into a better person? Do you actually believe that? Well, if you did, then then you should consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any kind. Do you really believe that all good and perfect things come from above as a gift from the Father of the heavenly lights? Do you actually believe that? Well, then we should constantly be praying to this good Father, asking him for help when we are struggling, for healing when we are sick, praising him happily when we are joyful. 
James is very concerned that our statements of faith be reflected in the way that we live. Do you really believe that? James asks. Well, then how might you live differently? Today, James strays into probably his most tabooed topic yet, which is the topic of money, and even more uncomfortably, who has it and who does not, the question of the rich and the poor. This is a difficult thing to discuss in any context and within within any group of people. Um, and I'm just going to be frank with you up front. James is, I think, going to really push us this week. And he has what might feel like a very hard or difficult word for us. Uh, I mean, you already heard the scripture readings today. They are intense, to say the very least, not the most popular sections of the Bible. And so before we get into the meat of things, I, I want to offer a couple of disclaimers, actually, Two of them. First, I am I'm doing my best this morning to to just be the messenger, as in don't shoot the messenger. Uh, we pastors, you know, we go to God each week and we ask we ask, is there a word? Is there a message for the people? And then sometimes God, you know, might reveal a, some kind of message to us, and we sometimes might say, is there a different message? Maybe one that's a bit lighter or a bit more fun. And I've found that God is rarely willing to keep swapping out messages until I have one to my liking. So I am determined to do my best this week to just try and help us understand what James is saying here, what biblical truth he is trying to push upon us, regardless of how we might feel about it. Secondly, I just want you all to know that I am in the crosshairs as much as any of you. I, I, I never want you to hear one of my sermons and think that it's me and James or me and the Bible over here in this corner bringing the hard word to y'all out there, the ones who really need to get it together. No, the Bible confronts us, me and you, all of us that claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and have decided to build our lives upon these holy scriptures. So the Bible confronts me as well. Um, so, so I'm just the messenger and the message is just as much for me as it is for anyone else. Let's begin with our first few verses from James chapter 1. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up, and the rich in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. The Christian scriptures have a clear concern for the poor. And when I say the poor, in this context, I mean the materially poor, people who do not have a sufficient amount of money, food, and resources to get by. The Bible is also concerned for the poor in spirit, as the Gospel of Matthew puts it. People who are discouraged, anxious, or depressed, the spiritually poor, so to speak. But that's not what we're talking about here. The Bible has a unique concern for the materially destitute. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament. I've mentioned several times before in sermons that the law codes of the Old Testament that are contained in books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they might be really difficult to read through from beginning to end and a bit strange. But careful study reveals that they were specifically designed in order to protect the power, the poor and the powerless in Israel's ancient society. And this comes through even sharper when you compare it to other law codes uh, of a similar time period. Harvesters were commanded in the law essentially to just do a bad job, to leave food on the vine so that the orphans and the widows would have enough to eat. On the year of Jubilee, which happened every 50 years, all indentured servants were freed, all debts were forgiven, and any land that was sold off to make payments for a debt during that previous 50-year period would be returned to the original owners. This was designed to keep the society from being too stratified as far as economic prosperity goes. Even some of the really weird laws, like the one that says if a man dies, then his brother has to marry his widow, those were designed with the poor and the vulnerable in mind. When we get to the New Testament, obviously Jesus shared this concern for the poor and the marginalized. He was constantly spurning the wealthy and the powerful people like the Pharisees and the Roman princes to hang out with the poorest of the poor, the sick and the destitute, to heal them and to raise them up. So the Bible has a clear concern for the poor, and I'm guessing that we all knew that. That's why we also need to have a concern for the poor, why we need to help them, why we need to serve them. And yes, that's all true, but the Bible actually goes even further. The Bible doesn't just have a concern for the poor. 
No, the Bible actually declares that God himself works to reverse the fortunes of the poor and the wealthy, to flip them upside down. The poor, those who do not have enough, they will be exalted. And the rich and the powerful, those who have plenty of resources and influence in this world, they will be brought low. God has done this in the past. He did this in his judgment of Israel, Israel's exile. When God allowed foreign nations to defeat his chosen people, he did so at least in part to judge and correct Israel's mistreatment of the poor. Amos 8, the prophet says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and destroy the poor of the land. The Lord will not forget what you have done. No, he will turn your feasts into sad affairs and your singing into funeral songs. The prophet Isaiah has a similar take in chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3 says that the Lord judges the elders and the princes of his people who have devoured the the vineyard. The, The spoil of the poor is in their houses. This theme also continues in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. Mary sings after Jesus has been born in chapter 1. She says that the Lord has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. When Jesus begins his ministry, he says in chapter 4 that he has come to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. Just two chapters later, in chapter 6, he gets even more extreme proclaiming to the crowd, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. That that one always makes, makes me nervous, gives me a bit of a shiver. Before the gospel of Luke is over, Jesus is going to tell a rich young ruler that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. And then we get to James. And James has read his Bible very well, and he knew Jesus better than anyone. He was his half-brother, after all. And so James asks us his signature question. Do we actually believe this? Do we actually believe that God not only has a unique concern for the poor, but also that he has in the past and will in the future reverse their fortunes, that God is going to exalt and raise up the poor, and he is going to humble and bring down the wealthy? Do we actually believe that? Well, if we did actually believe that, James points out, then it isn't the rich and the powerful, those who have made it, that should be boastful and feeling good about themselves. No, it's the poor who should boast. The poor should boast in the fact that they are going to be raised up. Ironically, the only thing the rich and the powerful have to boast about is the fact that they're going to be made low and they'll disappear like a flower in the field. Do you see how backwards the Bible's take on this issue is? How utterly different it is from the way that the world thinks about this? Most people think, I... I, assume that we should take care of the poor. Pretty much everyone, I think that you would, if you were to ask them, would love to see hungry people be fed and homeless people find a place to live. But no one looks at a really poor person and thinks, oh, that guy, they're actually better off. That they actually have more reason to boast or feel good about themselves or to be confident in their future than someone who is wealthy, who is more than enough. That's, that's crazy. I just said it and it sounds crazy. But I think that's what the Bible and James is saying here. Because God is in their corner. God works for the plight of the poor. He is going to reverse their fortunes. The poor will be raised up and the rich brought low. And so let the lowly boast in this promise. Our reading from the second chapter of James continues to draw out the implications of this this baffling truth. Most translations have chapter 2 verse 1 as a statement. Um as a statement, as a command, but the NRSV actually words it as a question. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? It's classic James. Because if you did, it follows, you would not be doing what you are doing. When a rich person comes into your assembly, James observes in chapter 2 verse 2, you fawn all over him. You usher him towards the best seat in the house. You see if he needs anything to drink or if you want, or if he wants to adjust the thermostat. But if a poor person 
wearing dirty clothes comes in, then you can barely look him in the eye. You have him stand in the corner and maybe sit on the ground in the dirt at your feet. Is this not making distinctions? James asks asks in verse 4, making yourself a misguided judge. And y'all, we do this all the time, meaning people in general, all the time, in almost every situation, because it is it is the default way of the world. We cater to those with wealth and power and influence because we think that they can do things for us. They can help us out. They can pull us up. I'm early in my career. Let's think about this in terms of like networking. If you happen to find yourself seated next to the CEO, you put on your biggest smile, you dust off your best jokes, and you try to make a connection, right? You pass by the janitor in the hallway. I mean, it'd be nice if you could remember their name, I guess, but they, you know, they usually have a name tag on anyway. Pastors can get in trouble with this when it comes to church members that that give a lot of money. Imagine if Bill Gates were to walk through the front door of my church. I sure would be tempted to roll out the red carpet. We might have to throw together an impromptu potluck afterwards. I'd make sure to invite him to Bible study because his tithe could pay my salary for the next thousand years. He could bankroll all of Pitt County, after all. The The frequent visitor who never puts in more than a couple dollars, they oftentimes, they don't get the same treatment. It's the way of the world to curry favor with the rich because we think that they can help us out, give more to our church, give us a better job, invite us to a fancy restaurant, whatever. And we push the poor to the corners because they can't do those things. They can't do anything for us. And we, you know, sometimes we might even think in our subconscious, they, they might even drag us down if we get too close. But you've got it all wrong, James says, because has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom? You're barking up the wrong tree. James says, it's the poor and the destitute who are going to be raised up. It's those folk who are going to inherit the kingdom. And you just shove them in the corner, out of sight, out of mind, while you cater to the wealthy who are going to wither like the flower in the field. If you're picking teams, you've picked the wrong one. Things that make all the sense in the world from a human perspective are nonsense once we have adopted the view of God and his son, Jesus Christ. And this is the part where I, I wish I could stop here, y'all. I, re- I really do. But I, I can't give a sermon from James on the rich and the poor without talking through chapter 5. James returns to this topic near the end of his writing in chapter 5, verse 1. I'm just going to read this for you one more time. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted, your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you. It will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out, and the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and pleasure. You fattened your hearts on the day of slaughter. You condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. That's the word of God for us, the people of God. And goodness gracious, um, I don't know how to feel about that, y'all. I really don't. It's the kind of Bible passage that you read and can't help but think, is he talking to me? Do I fall into that category? I sure don't have much gold or silver. Um, I don't think I've ever defrauded somebody of their wages, but me and my wife live in a parsonage with five full bedrooms. We don't even use two of them. And since I live in America, the odds are that I'm in the richest 1% of the world's population, no matter what kind of house I live in. It's a tough week in some ways, isn't it? Um, And I want to reiterate just one more time, I'm trying to just be the humble messenger, and I am just as much in the crosshairs as any of y'all. It's been a convicting and in some ways troubling experience to spend this week researching and preparing a sermon from these parts of James. And I think one of the things that is so difficult about this theme in the Bible is that it's not always clear what we should do in response to this hard and difficult word. What's the answer? Should we we 
literally give away everything that we have or everything that we possibly can? Should we sell any nice cars that we have to buy the cheapest ones possible and give the profit to charity? Do we all need to just go become missionaries and aid workers in third world countries? I don't know. I haven't sold my car yet. I haven't booked a ticket to Africa. I can't offer you specific instructions. Um, I do think that wealth in a Christian perspective comes with a heavy burden and a heavy responsibility. The responsibility that our wealth, uh, we have to make sure that it does not come at the expense of others, that the way that we live enhances rather than diminishes the lives of those who have less than us, and that the things that we do with our money help lift people out of poverty rather than keep people in poverty. So there are some directions we can take. But ultimately, I think that we need to close with just the sort of unresolved challenge that I think James is pressing upon us. And it's just going to be up to you to decide what to do with it or what it might look like to answer this challenge in your own circumstances and in your own life. So here we go. We think that when we think about the Christian story, when we think about what God has been up to since he created all things, how he has been, is, and will be at work within the world, some elements of that story, some parts of God's work, they're really familiar to us and they are near and dear to our hearts. What has God been up to? Well, he's been working uh, He's been working to heal the sickness and the brokenness of sin that entered at the Garden of Eden. He's working to redeem creation itself and every human soul. God has been working for my own personal redemption, working for the forgiveness and healing of my own sin. God came down as a human being onto this earth. He suffered and died so that I might have a relationship with him, so that I might know him and be fully known by him. In the future, God is going to bring this plan of redemption full circle with a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes, and he will put an end to all mourning and all crying and all pain. These parts of the story are right and good and true, and they should sound really familiar to you because we talk about them all the time around here at Grifton United Methodist. But there's another element of the story of God, another theme, and it's clear and obvious. It's all over the place in the Bible, but it often doesn't get the same emphasis as that other stuff. What has God been up to in the world? Well, the God of the Bible has consistently and fervently been an advocate for the poor and the powerless. He's constantly taken their side throughout history, fought for them, offered them encouragement and hope. God came down as a human being in order to proclaim good news to the poor and freedom to the oppressed. What is God going to do in the future? The Bible says that one day God will elevate and exalt the materially destitute. The poor and the downtrodden will be raised up and he is going to bring down the rich and the powerful. That's what the Bible says. And so I have to leave you with James' signature question, to which unfortunately I cannot provide a satisfactory answer. Do you really believe that? And if we did actually believe that, how might we live differently? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.